0: She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes.
1: If you have any information regarding Mora's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray Family, through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit.
0: This is Missing Mora Murray. Maggie Freeling is joining us on the line. Thanks for joining us here on Missing More Amari. Maggie, how are you today?
2: I am awesome. Uh, I'm coming out of an uh, interview with Fat Joe. So uh, I'm I'm really, like, high on life right now.
1: <laughs> What's Fat Joe like?
2: <laughs> he's just a very cool person. He's, he's political. He's charitable. He's down to earth. He's humble. Um, it was... Really awesome. And I was a huge fan when I was a kid. So it was it was cool. This is a little disappointing to be here now, just, <laughs> just saying. to be
1: talking to us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that I don't really want you to expect us to live up to that expectation.
2: <laughs> yeah, you guys are you guys are definitely not any of those things.
1: Fat Joe is a hard act to
0: follow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cool. No, I am excited to talk to you guys right now.
0: So we uh, we brought it up on the last episode, what to do with the GoFundMe uh, money. And so we asked our listeners to email in some ideas, and I think they, they had some great ideas. We'll go through them in detail uh, a little bit later. But Maggie, what do you think we should be doing with
2: uh, with these funds? I think last time we were up there, all of us talked that getting uh, search dogs would be really, really good to do. Um of course, we want to go up and dig in the spots that we identified. You know, we had talked about billboards. That's very expensive. I guess, you know, at this point, I would really just love to know what the community thinks.
1: Well, one thing that we did discuss was that we can have a plan moving forward based on the information that happens in a current plan. So the first plan was to go up and do the GPR and we got results from the soil. So then we determine what to do at that point. Whereas the next trip that we're, we're, we're going up with the search dogs, after that, we will determine what to do based on their findings. So let's say the search dogs go into an area that that we've designated and they find something then we have to figure out, do we do a soil sample here? That so goes to a lab. Hence, that's where the money's going to be going at that point, based on the, uh, on the results of the current uh, sort of mission that we're on at the time.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: And so we're going back up to New Hampshire to do some more digging. What else are we going to be doing?
2: Well, we are getting search dogs, um, which is really, really awesome. And it's, the same people who helped train the dogs that we used in the show. Um, And those dogs were really, really great. So I have full confidence in these dogs we will be using.
1: And shout out to those guys. We didn't actually contact them. We were contacted by one of the handlers. And it just came to be that this was a connection to the Oxygen show, the episode with the search dogs. And they have organized on their end to bring some dogs up there during our trip.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were talking, I I have the contact for the dog people that we used on the show, and we were talking about getting them because I really, really liked the dogs we used in the show. They, you know, I saw what they could do, I saw their capabilities, and I wanted to use them legitimately to search for Mara. So it really was kind of a coincidence that they reached out to us.
0: And so as far as areas and specifics on what we're doing uh, coming up soon, I, I suppose we can get into that a little bit. So starting at Rick's old property, we are going to take a look at that anomaly on the lawn that we found from uh, GB Geotechnics Ground Penetrating Radar with Ed and Graham, and... Uh, there was kind of no determination on what this was. It's just a sort of an anomaly in the ground. Something was dug there at one point. It doesn't seem to be anything there now. Certainly not a human body or anything like that.
1: And we had the results from the soil, and the soil came back pretty much normal for that area. And, uh, you know, something that you wouldn't be planting a garden in, but that's very typical for New England, uh, like someone's front yard. So
0: Right, only because the soil isn't great for that. That yeah, area.
2: and something that um I noticed in your last podcast, something that I think has been like inferred but never actually said is that just because the soil sample came back and it it infers that there is no human remains in the hole, we're still looking for a backpack, a cell phone, Um, her wallet. So that's what I'm hopeful to find when we dig.
1: Right. And I'm so glad that you said that because that's something that we keep reiterating. Just because the initial GPR didn't show anything that would represent a body per se, and just because the soil sample came back as negative for a high amount of organic matter, that doesn't mean that there isn't an anomaly there. And so now that's the next step.
0: Yeah. No, well, there is an anomaly there. We know that yeah. from the ground-penetrating radar. We know there isn't m- organic material, anything more than ordinary there. So, uh, And we know that cadaver dogs have been over that spot and not hit that area. So we know that there's no body there. But like Maggie said, yeah, we're totally hopeful there's a backpack or something more related there. That's still a definite possibility.
1: Right. So there's no reason why when we have the means right now to go and be as thorough as possible.
0: Yeah, might as well do it. And uh, the lovely current owners at that house are willing to let us dig. And we're not going to dig that far down. We're not going to disrupt uh, th- these people's lives too much, I, I hope. But uh, it's just going to be a little hole, and we're just going to find out uh, what's what's in there, if there's anything in there at all.
1: And what's really interesting about Ed and Graham from GB Geotechnics we had a call with them yesterday just about the game plan when we go up there again and the itinerary and when they get sort of a, something stuck in their craw when they when they need to know something these guys are super inquisitive they we're, we're actually going to be going back to another location that we have pretty much said it doesn't have anything to do with it with with Maura's disappearance at this point but there's something there that just they can't get out of their heads so they want to go back there. They want to do some stuff and just clear it. And that's the level of, again, thoroughness that that it takes to bring, you know, it's 15 years. We're going to bring it as far as we can before we can absolutely, without a doubt, say, you know, that is, that's paint stain. That's not blood or or whatever.
2: Yeah. And something I think I kind of want to talk about, too, is like, it's so interesting that when we had wood chip tested in the show I mean that was a real well-known scientist that we had read us the you know and do the testing of the wood chip that came back as two human blood samples and so it's still baffling to me that we collected the rest of the wood chips yet we're told it has no evidentiary value so I don't know what that means is there blood on it whose blood is on it
0: Right. Yeah, we were debating this in the office uh yesterday, Lance and I because uh we're not sure either. And uh we reached out to uh check of the cold case unit uh for further clarification if we can get any because one of the things we're thinking of doing is having these uh wooden panels chips tested again privately by us um for DNA and to find out who whose blood that was.
2: So even though it was a TV show, the the things that we were doing were real. And so that wood chip was real wood chip collected by John Smith and given to us. And we we really paid a lot of money to have that tested. And we got two human blood samples, you know? So yeah, I mean, what is on that paneling?
1: Was that their final determination, Maggie, that... It was human blood, but they couldn't take it any further?
2: So so once we found out it was human blood, we handed it over to the state police, thinking it could be Morris because she could not be ruled out by the sample we were able to pull. Since it was so degraded, we couldn't get a full profile. So we could not rule her out by comparing her, her profile. So we gave it to the police. And I don't believe it was ever tested. They said it was too degraded, and they didn't want to do that. So that's why, you know, all of us... When we went back in recently, we pulled all those chips thinking, "Okay, now here's better samples. Let's test it. And I think what's so interesting about the wording, they came back and didn't say this is not human DNA or blood. Correct. All they said was this has no evidentiary value
0: to this case or any other case is what uh, Chuck said. So that's
2: that's again my question. Mm -hmm. Whose freaking blood is in that closet?
1: Right. So here's the hypothetical that Tim and I were rolling around yesterday. That answer comes back to us in a very specifically worded way from the state police. They they really can't give uh, anything more than what they... Sure. What they what they know, right? The The black and white facts. So here's a hypothetical. Let's say that there was blood in there. And let's say that someone went through the effort to clean up the blood. And I'm not saying this was a murder. I'm just saying there was blood on the walls. And someone went through the effort to spray cleaner on it, to wipe it down, spray it again, wipe it down, so that blood actually uh deteriorated based on how it was cleaned, and that is why they can tell it's blood, but because it was cleaned, we can't go any further with it, which would explain Chuck's wording saying there's no evidentiary value to this. He can't—you you know, he, he's saying that whatever this is, it can't be taken as far as to determine whether this is evidence, because if he—think about if he says anything else. Think about if he says this tested positive for blood— uh but we can't link it to anything.
0: So that, mm-hmm. that that just opens too many doors. And they wouldn't say, well, yes, it's blood and we have a match. They wouldn't tell us that either. It's an open case. Exactly. So... What did, what do
1: they have to match it against at that point? You know? Like if if it did get to that that level. They would already be reaching out for uh whoever has any DNA that's within Moore's bloodline.
0: Well, they already have uh, Kat and Julie's DNA. Right, that's what I mean. They'd yeah.
1: be reaching out to whatever lab has that at that point. Oh, the state lab. No,
2: they have her, de- they have her profile.
1: No, no, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. if they reached out to, you know, well, I guess I was just picturing it in like the DNA lab, but if they reached out within their department and got that DNA, what, what, would, what would the state police have to say to us ab- about it then? Certainly not, there's no evidentiary value.
2: Well, it's possible they got the same exact results that we got. Exactly. We just can't rule her out. Exactly. But I don't think I don't, you know, but then I don't agree with that. I, I think if they couldn't rule her out they they wouldn't say this has no evidentiary value
0: right wouldn't they encourage because... us to test it or give the remaining chips to them for them to test
2: exactly. further or something exactly. like that exactly or the concrete exactly.
0: or the concrete which has been
1: described as lighting up luminol as if it was pooling in a corner
2: i think more likely than it being inconclusive cuz the, their their wording doesn't seem like it's inconclusive i think it's more that they know whose blood it is and it is not of evidentiary value
1: Okay, well, we do have concrete that we took from the closet where this liquid was that was supposedly pooling up. Ed and Graham during our call yesterday forwarded us some information for a uh, testing lab that Namus actually uses in in Texas where they're located. So we will be sending that off. It is not cheap, so we got to make sure the samples that we send are the most relevant samples, the most um, surface-level samples, because Ed had a really good point. Um, Blood that's on that veneer-type wood paneling would probably wipe away a lot easier than blood that's on a porous surface like concrete. So he, he recommended get two or three chunks of that sample that we took. The concrete. From the concrete. Uh, as as close to the surface level as possible.
2: What I just find interesting about the concrete is that there was no stains on it. So that is that is um, something to think about.
1: Well,
0: bleach, does a, bleach does a bleach does an amazing job sometimes. Well, I guess my question is, where does it go after that? Right? And We were kind of trying to talk this out. I don't know that we have a, an, an exact answer yet. But so we're if we send these samples of concrete to this lab uh, in Texas. And then they run the DNA, or if they're able to get DNA, they they run that DNA versus Morris or versus a family member of Morris.
2: Yeah, versus they have Morris DNA is on file. That is something that is they have. They don't need to compare family members. Not
1: at Namus. So I guess the lab at Namus would have to contact the the lab at the state police,
0: right, and get the DNA, or we would just get the DNA ourselves.
2: The state police has her DNA.
0: Interesting. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. This is good to talk out because I, uh, you know, I'm all this stuff is lost on us.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that a lot of people know that her DNA is on file. A lot of people email us and say, talk about the the. Her siblings DNA, you know, you can match with the siblings DNA just because I think a lot of people don't really know that much about DNA, just basically what they've yeah. seen on TV. Yeah, you,
2: you totally can. I mean, you watch enough forensic files, you know that. But <laughs> um, no, they have her DNA. They have. She, this is the craziest thing is that she has a fully complete profile. She there's dental records, there's DNA, there's everything for her.
1: It seems like the next step after we're up there and we do the search with the dogs and we do an additional GPR uh, exploration and some digging, maybe a soil sample, this DNA profiling seems to be probably within the top like three of ways to spend the money.
2: It does. That's what people said.
1: I No, I'm just basing this on the conversation now. It's also what people said, but I think it has to be done after our next trip up there where we can have some some, some more solid samples now that we've eliminated other locations.
2: I think that because this money is not ours, it's the community's, I, I do think that there should be a heavy influence on what the community says. So I want to know. Tell me what they said. At
1: this point, the overwhelming response was for dogs.
2: Check. We're doing that. Which
1: we're doing, Were, yes. there, were there any specific locations? No, not no, really. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think we're covering the specific locations that they, they, would, have, they would want. There are a couple of new locations based on some, some communication that we've had with, uh, with members of, of the community, but nothing that has been uh, heavily, heavily emphasized. That's any different than where we're already going.
2: Right. So that one spot that Fred took me to, I think because that is a Fred request, I want to honor that first and foremost, which we are.
1: That's going to be first on the itinerary, I believe, when we go up there uh, with the dogs. They'll be heading out into that area. Concurrently, we will be operating uh, another quick GPR scan at one of the previous locations.
0: We did get one uh, really interesting idea from a Rudy who emailed us. He said that uh, you could sponsor a 10K run or marathon kind of an interesting idea hadn't really thought about anything like that but that could be a good way to raise additional funds potentially. I like where too. his uh
1: i like where his head's at instead yeah of, something there yeah. i like
2: that a lot right that's and, great
1: instead of just directly spending money on something you could spend a smaller amount on something like that to raise a much larger amount right cool anybody out there who knows how to organize one of those things shoot us an email and we'll figure out a way to do it
2: yeah that would be amazing
1: and tim will be first in line to run Art will be Tim and Art (laughs)
0: There's an email here from Melissa who suggests cadaver dogs as the number one priority and then billboards um, which we know is is quite pricey and uh, dating the concrete slab at the A-frame I think that's important we're uh, still kind of trying to work on that before we do anything um, any actual testing on that, but we will be
1: grabbing a sample of that, I believe, when we're up there again, the concrete slab. They'll mm-hmm. be, be coring that so that we can send it off for testing. but again, every, everything is really based on the findings that happen at the you know immediately after.
2: Well, the other thing is is we know I don't know if this is on record or off record, so do as you will. The other thing we know is that Chuck West said to the owners of the A-frame that he wanted to bring dogs there at some point, so I don't know if that did happen or if you know what we know from that.
0: I don't think it's happened to date. But it will. Here's an email from Rachel who suggests getting the wood chips uh, and cement slab tested ourselves. Um, I think that, that is sort of something that people want to know. because I And it's not really like a trust thing, I don't think, with the state police. I think everyone, most people at this point, trust what the state police have done. But um, I think we know as a group that we're not going to get any more information. So might as well kind of run it down ourselves and see if we can find the same information, I guess. Right.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just think the curiosity of like, okay, whose DNA it is. I mean, my guess is it is one of the Moultons who we know was alive or, or whatever. And they lived there. Of course, their blood, their DNA blood, blood, I guess we know it's blood would be there.
1: The percentage is pretty big on that. I think. Yeah. We got an email from Ann and from Indiana who says, uh, I hope all is well in Wormtown, and everything is going very, very well here in Wormtown. And she just said the request, uh, her request is uh, if we could involve the Murray family with any of uh, their requests for the searches. And some of the new locations that we're looking at right now are at the request of the Murray family. The, the new one that you have, Maggie, you were told by Fred, and then there's another one that is uh, coming through uh, Curtis Murray. So we're going to be mm-hmm. looking at both of those. And uh, yeah, so Anne, thanks for that. And uh, that is that is happening.
0: And shout out to Anne. We know her from CrimeCon. What up, Anne? And here's one from Leanna who suggests testing the wood chips and the wood paneling and the uh, what is in the A-frame closet. Try to run down that answer. And she said she agrees with Chuck in regards to offering a reward. So it seems like offering a reward, the community seems like it's a worry that there'd be too many false leads brought in,
2: and we do know that the police are getting a lot of leads, so I mean it seems like people are are bringing in leads you know without a reward, so
0: yeah, that's excellent, yeah, keep the leads coming, everybody, and uh we also got a a really informative email from an architect named Brett who was talking about the floors in Rick Forcier's old place. And on our last episode, we uh, spoke to the current owners of that place and they said that uh, there's a couple of like hollow spots and they dropped an object on, on a spot on their floor and it sounded hollow, but they had been told that the place was built on a concrete slab without a basement. So uh, this architect emailed us and we forwarded this information off to the current owners just to hopefully give them a little bit of peace of mind. And uh, Brett goes on to say that this is actually kind of typical.
1: A hollow sound is a typical thing with
0: with a concrete slab. He says a very common alternative is to use glue to adhere wood sleepers uh, to the concrete slab and attach subfloor and finished floor on top of the sleepers. So some of this technical terminology is lost on me, but he does go on to say that this is a possibility.
2: You know, and it's actually really interesting knowing, you know, the person that built the house when we found that other slab by the bottom of the steps and it was reinforced, which is unusual, but I guess not uncommon if you know what you're doing. So it seems like, you know, forcing a new how to build and do construction. So that seems like something he might you might do.
0: That is also one thing that the GB Geotechnic guys are excited to uh, work on and uh, bring sort of a handheld GPR on the floor there in that in that home where of uh, you know, Rick's former home, kind of on the floor there, and just see if they see anything odd. I think they really wanted to do it last time, and we were kind of like, eh, you know, we kind of ran out of time. It wasn't like the, be- the biggest priority at that time.
1: Well, we also did find out that that foundation was... In, in the works, if not almost completed in February of 2004.
0: And that was why we crossed it off the list uh, the previous weekend when we were up there.
1: Also, if anything is found there, not not like, I mean, if they do do a scan and something is found there, I'm sure the owners will do what needs to be done to to get that uh, thing up and identified. But if there's like gray area, you, you really aren't going to destroy the, these people's living room and kitchen. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough decision to make. That's, that's a, that's a big undertaking.
2: Something I want to say is I think at this point, you know, we've raised so much money. There was the idea, I mean, we're almost at 10,000. So thank you everybody. I think the idea, you know, was to, to possibly do a reward. Um, and I think, you know, maybe that's not the best idea talking to police and hearing what some people say. So I think it's also a great idea to do, um, a run or some kind of event that also just continues attention on Mora, And then I think we would love to hear what people want with the rest of the money. It doesn't seem like we're going to be able to spend it all on search dogs and stuff since a lot of this is pro bono. Um, So, I mean, should we set up a scholarship fund? Should we um, donate it to NickMick or, you know, any one of those organizations for missing people? Like what do people want? Um, if there's only so much we can we can search with.
1: Well, I will say any findings that happen when we go up there on one of these trips, and we need to test something for DNA or we need to test concrete, that's going to take up some cash pretty quickly. Uh, it's going to go from a, you know a, an amount with a comma in it to no comma very fast if we feel the need to test for DNA. And at that point, it'll only be done because we are, we feel so strongly that there'll be results based on those tests. Uh, I love the idea of a run or something that can happen annually to continue to put money in this account. And, you know, a portion of that could maybe in two or three years go towards a, um, you know, a nursing scholarship or something or something that would be related to what Mora was, uh, interested in or what her career path was going towards. Um, maybe, maybe like, uh, Forest conservation, hiking trail re- restoration, things like that. Uh, a portion goes to that, and a portion goes to still investigating and still doing testing. The I think that's great. Right. And that's those are the things that have never been done. So if you look at how long she's been missing and people have been working on it, and again, Chuck said this to us, he has to adapt to the times. A billboard, that's nice. It put, might put pressure on, on the, the community or anyone up there who's involved, but the the return on that probably isn't worth it. It's the the percentage of what could come from that probably isn't worth it as 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 is the reward. They've they've said historically rewards almost cause more problems than any solutions. So you might as well do something productive with the money or or a portion of the money and and then continue the the testing, the investigations, etc.
2: Yeah totally
1: agree. That was good to hear from Maggie Freeling.
0: Yeah, great to hear from her and the audience to kind of uh, get some ideas out there and uh, sort of brainstorm you know, ways to spend that money.
1: Right. Here's the thing. You and I have never done something like this, nor has Maggie, but we do have communication with Chuck West, Art Roderick, law enforcement, and they can only tell us what they know based on their experience, and I think what we can take from that is what hasn't worked so we're going to start trying to think outside the box we're going to start really putting the money to to good use that like we just said maybe in two or three years there's enough money to separate it so that we can put it towards something that Maura would be interested in or something that the family would say you know Maura would like that in Maura's memory in addition to continuing the soil sampling and the investigations
0: so another thing we uh, wanted to talk about here today is our documentary, Lance. It's called Finding More Murray. I haven't heard of this. No, no, no. You have. We've been working on it for literally years. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing. Just
1: can't see the forest through the trees sometimes. Right.
0: So, uh, But it's ready, Lance. Or at least four episodes of this documentary is ready to go on to Amazon VOD. How exciting is that?
1: What date is this? I feel like we're doing a sponsor read.
0: Uh, Not really, kind of. It's uh, Monday, October 1st, actually, given a nice even number, October 1st. The first four episodes, which is about two hours of content, and it does take up the entire trip to Quebec, Canada, that we had with our cameraman, Joshua F. Leonard, and with author james renner
1: and this section of the journey that we started documenting was the beginning of our trip it was the beginning of our exploration down the rabbit hole and as far as an introduction to the rest of the footage to the rest of the documentary this is a great book ended moment in time it's a beginning middle and end with us leaving for canada us questioning why we're there watching james go about his business up there and then us bringing it full circle and sort of coming out of the whole thing a, a very different with a very different view of the whole world that is this more murray community
0: yeah maybe even more confused um, but you know you really kind of see it and you use the term you, you can't see the forest through the trees and that's Kind of like when we started walking into the woods.
1: Yeah, it was a stepping off point. It was you're in you're in the clear, and you made the decision. Not you, but we made the decision to step in. And that was that the last the last scene when we're in the car and we're talking about it. That was that was our moment where we didn't say, but we said, you know, without
0: saying this 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 is this doesn't end here. Our obsession begins now, and uh, yeah, and and. That footage is about a year and a half before the podcast, this podcast that you're listening to, ever began. So we do have a little bit more footage to show that happened after that trip to Quebec and before the podcast started. So that would be episode five. And then we will get into the part where the podcast launches. And we have a lot of behind-the-scenes footage there, stuff that's never been... Uh, seen before
1: and I think it's safe to say that these episodes will be delivered with maybe a rare exception in parts of four right so the first four I don't know the second four the third four so that's the intention there might be just you know story arc wise. We could do only three for a certain um, release, but there will be multiple releases and there will be a portion of the proceeds of the download uh, fee that will be donated to the Maura Murray GoFundMe.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling that it's going to be hard to hold off till we have four additional ones ready to uh, to put them all up at, at once. I kind of feel like we're just going to put them up when they're done. Um, but I don't know. And we do have an editor that we're working with now who is uh, really wonderful, and she is working on part five now. So hopefully part f- parts five, six, and so on uh, won't be too far behind. You certainly won't be waiting five years uh, this time, <laughs> or I, I suppose three and a half if you're uh, counting when we started the podcast. It's
1: so funny because we're talking about it now, and because we're doing the first four, Instantly, my brain just went to, well, the entire thing's going to be a multiple of four, and we're going to deliver it in eight four-part segments.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. But who knows? It's it's probably not going to be that even or uh, that consistent, um, but I don't know. I don't really know. It kind of just depends on what happens and uh, if we can pay this editor, and, uh, and we'll go from there.
1: So as far as the amount of money that's going to be going to the GoFundMe, we're going to be depositing that quarterly, so every three months. We'll look at the total that's come in every three months after what Amazon takes. And what is the percentage that Amazon takes from this?
0: Amazon takes uh, 50%, actually.
1: Now, for those of you who think that 50% is super high, that is industry standard when you're doing an independent release. Uh, To reiterate the reason why Tim and I decided to do an independent release was to maintain control over the content and to maintain control over what portion goes to the GoFundMe. It's it's really tough to work with a studio when you're talking about distribution and you want to donate to a charity.
0: Well, also, there's already been a television show uh, f- from Oxygen um, called The Disappearance of Maura Murray. So I think it, it's really hard at this point, one year later, to get another television network or some kind of streaming service to have this additional show that's almost the same premise Um, On their service, it's just a little too crowded. So that is, we kind of had no choice when we decided to do this oxygen show to uh, go about our release independently.
1: So for every three months, we will assess how much has come in. We will give Amazon the cut and the portion that will go to the GoFundMe will be no less than 10%. So if we have a particularly good quarter, we could go up to 15%, but it'll be no less than 10%. So just know, if you are downloading it, a portion of that
0: does go directly towards making a difference. Yes, after half of it goes to Amazon, ten <laughs> percent will go to the fund. And as far as the content of these first episodes go, uh, we th- we think it's really compelling stuff. But just in case you're curious, like it's it's not all focused on James Renner. It's it's ultimately the the documentary in its entirety is focused on our sort of descent into this obsession and we document other people's as well, like James is the first one because that's how it happened in reality. So next up is a, couple, a lovely couple that you met and hung out with up near the crash site and who, who took a spontaneous um, romantic getaway vacation to uh, Morris' accident site.
1: Yeah, the man surprised his fiance with uh, a gift of we're going to Haverhill. New Hampshire to look into this, uh, this, this disappearance. So it was really, um, it might've been the first time I experienced dark tourism face to face because that was something that they did as an enjoyable getaway for the weekend and spent some time with them and knocked on a couple of doors, including a, a certain dilapidated house on old Peter's road. That was really terrifying and fascinating. And, Explored the neighborhood, and it was really insightful to see people who aren't from there and who did not comment on the blogs or any of the forums, and how they interpreted the the area and the case itself.
0: Right. So that's part five, and then you know we'll move further. The podcast will eventually launch. Uh, we go see v- Lori Bruno. So uh, when we cover that segment in in the podcast, we will show you that footage. Um, and there's just a lot there's a lot, lot more. So and most of it hasn't been edited. So it's really hard to say what the rest of it's going to look like. But we do know that most of it you know, doesn't take place in Canada.
1: So everything that people have been following on the podcast, you can see, for the most part, a visual version of the, the inner workings of what we synopsized in 45 minutes. And we say, well, we did this. And, you know, we talk about it. We have a guest on. But there's the hands on element that goes with what we talked about in every episode. At the beginning of each episode of the docu series, we do have a disclaimer that says that the views that are expressed in that particular episode are not necessarily our views, which you'll understand very quickly when you, when you watch these episodes, when you watch the first episode. Those are not our views. That is our journey.
0: But it goes for everybody that we talk to in the documentary. It's not just James Renner. And and in fairness, it's not even us. Like, if if we have a, a thought in the documentary then, it doesn't mean we think that now. In fact, I can almost guarantee we don't think that now after almost five years. So whatever we're showing these people that we're documenting say, it doesn't mean that we believe that. It doesn't even mean they believe that now. It's just a moment in time and the documentary ultimately is about the obsession with Morris case and not so much finding information on Morris' case. It's really interesting to look at a piece that was shot five
1: years ago and you see the interactions and you see what we're uh what we're saying and what we're thinking and you reflect on it now and It's almost like going to your own funeral where you hear people talk about you and because it doesn't really feel like you when you're looking at it. I mean, I'm watching this and I'm like, God, it's like everything is so cringeworthy. So you got to take a step back and you have to say, "Okay, well, it makes sense at the time based on the information.
0: Okay, so thank you very much for listening today. Please follow us on Twitter at Mora Murray Doc. We're on Facebook at Moramari Doc. We're on Instagram at Missing Mora Murray. And check us out on Amazon V O D starting October first. And it will be available in the States, the US of A as well as the UK, right off the bat. We are working on getting it available in Germany, um, through Amazon. Guten Tag. And uh Other countries will be slightly delayed. Not sure where we're going to go about uh, getting it available in, say, Australia at this point. But uh, we are thinking about it. We're going to take one step at a time.
1: Finding more Murray. October 1st. Amazon. VOD. VOD.